I am too young to remember the civil rights movement. I'm too young to remember the March on Washington. I was just a year old when Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. The only way that I have experienced those terrible, inevitable days in our nation's history is by watching the black and white television coverage of the events and by hearing other people's stories. The images that I have of the civil rights movement are the iconic figure of Dr. King standing on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial watching Mahalia Jackson sing, I've been buked and I've been scorned before he told the nation that he had a dream. The long rows of marchers, arm in arm, singing, We Shall Overcome, as they swept toward the Edmund Pettus Bridge in Selma, Alabama. African Americans sitting at lunch counters at Woolworth stores, going hungry because the white staff refused to serve them. Malcolm X's fiery speeches letting the nation know that there were other ways to view this struggle. Young black men and women turned against storefronts to protect themselves from the painful blast of a fire hose. German Shepherd police dogs lunging on their leashes, hungry for a bite of flesh. And the stories the stories of how some of our brave Unitarian Universalist ministers marched with other clergy, how some were beaten and one was killed. The only connection I have to these events is secondhand, but I live their consequences every single day. I live the consequences of the civil rights movement every day of my life, and how could I not? How could I forget that a great inequality still grips our country? How could I forget that people are still judged by the color of their skin? How could I ignore the fact that for every dollar of wealth white people enjoy, black people have only one penny? How could I not see around me people of all races and all classes striving to live the elusive American dream? How could I forget that 50 years ago this morning, four black teenage girls died in the horrific bombing of their church? How could I forget? How could any of us? In the early morning of Sunday, September 15, 1963, members of the Ku Klux Klan planted a box of dynamite with a time delay under the basement steps of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. At 10.22 a.m., 26 children were walking into that basement assembly room to hear a sermon entitled, The Love That Forgives when the bomb exploded. Four girls, Addie Mae Collins, Carol Robertson, and Cynthia Wesley, all age 14, and Denise McNair, age 11, were killed in the attack. 22 additional people were injured. The explosion blew a hole in the church's rear wall. It destroyed the back steps and all but one stained glass window which showed Jesus leading a group of little children. 
even 50 years later. We are shocked by this act of racial terrorism. But the bombing of a black church in Birmingham in 1963 was not unusual. The 16th Street Baptist Church had received repeated threats. Bombings at black institutions and homes were so frequent in those days that the city earned the nickname Bombingham. The black residents of Birmingham experienced a high level of violence on a daily basis, much like the residents of present-day Jerusalem or Damascus. The bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church and the deaths of the four girls did not surprise black people, but this horrible act served to awaken white Americans to the plight of their African-American neighbors. These deaths led directly to the passage of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. We humans are frightfully slow to act until something happens to us. Call us creatures of habit, call us selfish, call us overextended and ill-informed. We don't often get with the program until something affects us personally. We drive cars like it is perfectly safe until we are in an accident. We spend like we have all the money in the world until we lose our job. We take our spouse or partner for granted until he or she leaves us. We neglect repairing relationships with parents and grandparents until they have died. When something affects us personally, we spring into action, but usually not before. This is one of the reasons why the injustices that led to the civil rights movement could go on for so long without people acting. White Americans were not personally affected by the racial violence. And so the cycle of abuse and inequality continues to this day. The holiest of the Jewish holidays, Yom Kippur, began yesterday at sundown. Jews all over the world have entered synagogues for all or part of this 25-hour day of fasting and prayer. With its emphasis on repentance and forgiveness, this Day of Atonement allows Jews to begin their new year with a clean heart. Yom Kippur restores the human balance. It puts the Jewish community back into right relationship with God. A person can only experience the forgiveness of Yom Kippur if he or she has done some work beforehand, though. In the Jewish tradition, God requires humans to take a true accounting of their deeds at least once a year. This moral inventory must be honest, sincere, and unflinching. All humans have the capacity to do harm to one another and to the earth. All humans fall short. All humans are in need of forgiveness. All must learn to forgive. And by the way, this includes you and me, too. We Unitarians might believe in a salvation through good planning, but this does not let us off the hook for the rotten things that we do. 
On the eve of Yom Kippur, God asks Jews to make amends to those that they have wronged in the past year. Now, this is the hard part for us to believe. If it is done right, a Jewish person will call or write to the people that he or she has wronged and ask forgiveness. It does not matter if the recipient acknowledges the correspondence or even accepts the apology. It is the act of repentance that matters. It is the act of asking for forgiveness that allows a person to move on. Wow, that part would be really hard. Can we imagine talking to a neighbor or coworker and telling her that we are sorry for being so rude and demanding? Can we imagine calling up a family member or friend and apologizing for our callous insensitivity and our harsh words? Can we imagine seeking out a fellow church member and telling him we regret the hurtful ways that we acted in a meeting? Can we imagine telling our children that we are sorry for the ways that we have failed them as parents? It is a good thing that God is merciful and quick to forgive because getting that forgiveness is the hard, getting to that forgiveness is the hard part. And how long must forgiveness last, you ask? An ancient rabbi is reported to have been asked by his disciples, if my brother sins against me, how many times should I forgive him? As many as seven times? To which the wise teacher replied, I say to you, not seven times, but seventy times seven. Seventy times seven? You math geeks out there already know that that adds up to 490 times. And what? Am I supposed to keep track? Thanks, sis. That's your 278th forgiveness from me. You only have 212 left. Absurd, and rightly so. It is not the number of times that we forgive someone. It is not the number of times that we ask for forgiveness. Yom Kippur is about developing a forgiving nature that helps us live better the whole year through. It is also about changing the ways that we act in the future. Yes, forgiveness is necessary, but if we don't change our behavior, we have, we have not benefited from it individually or as a society. We might forget that Yom Kippur is a communal act of forgiveness. It is not just individual Jews who are making amends. It is the entire Jewish community that is trying to get back in right relationship. A crucial element of Yom Kippur is the observance of it in community. Restoration is not done, indeed cannot be done, by an individual. It is a collective ritual performed by the entire religious community. During the Yom Kippur service, the entire congregation makes a collective confession. What if our congregation were to communally confess its transgressions of the last year, 
over the last few years? What if the community we live in were to admit the ways that it has let down its citizens? What if our nation were to fess up to all of the ways that it has perpetuated injustice rather than striving for more justice? What would happen then? I think we can scarcely imagine something like this happening. We are so used to the me-first culture that we live in. Ours is a country that is still torn by racial strife. Ours is a country that has extreme divisions between the haves and the have-nots. Ours is a country perpetually at war, usually in two or three places at once. Our country's prime motivators are fear and greed. Though it has many, many wonderful qualities, the United States of America is in deep need of forgiveness and reconciliation. But who on earth could possibly start us down the path toward that forgiveness and reconciliation? The answer is, you could. The poet Annie Dillard asks, Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? There is no one but us. There is no one to send, nor a clean hand, nor a pure heart on the face of the earth, nor in the earth, but only us, a generation comforting ourselves with the notion that we have come at an awkward time, that our innocent fathers are all dead, as if innocence had ever been, and our children busy and troubled, and we ourselves unfit, not yet ready, having each of us chosen wrongly, made a false start, failed, yielded to impulse and the tangled comforts of pleasure, and grown exhausted, unable to seek the thread, weak and involved. But there is no one but us, she says. There never has been. There is no one but us. There never has been. As the singing group Sweet Honey and the Rock puts it, we are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the ones who must remember the bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church, and we are the ones who must make sure bombings like that do not happen again. We are the ones who must see the places where African Americans and any other group do not have full equality in our society, and we are the ones who must work to make our nation more equitable for everyone. We are the ones who must not be content with the segregation that occurs all around us, segregation by income, segregation by religion and culture, segregation by race. And we must be the ones to reach across lines of difference in acts large and small to ensure that all people are allowed to live into their own potential. We are the ones we've been waiting for. There is no one but us there never has been. Let us go bravely and cheerfully into this new year together. Let us begin again in love. So be it.
Amen.